Good day, everyone. Welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Thank you so much for joining us as we open up and listen to God's Word together. Today's message is part five in Pastor DJ Ritchie's Sunday morning series on Elijah. This message was given on February 14th, 2021. If you have not yet subscribed, please do. When you do, you will receive a notification each time we post a new message and will always be up to date. We hope this encourages you in your relationship with Christ, and if it does, we would love to connect with you in person sometime. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get into it. appreciate Dave singing and his ministry. I appreciate uh, Pastor Nick and Scott preaching last week, and Butch leading singing, and Don singing last week, and all, all who make our services possible every week back in the sound room, and uh, so many people that... Uh, that come together every week to make this a, a possibility that we can worship together and study together. And uh, while I certainly enjoyed having a, a week to uh, to be blessed and to to watch, uh, I'm very very glad to be back here with you, uh, sharing God's word with you today. And so as we prepare our hearts for uh, God's word, let's go to Him again in prayer together. Father, we love you and thank you, God. You are um, a merciful God, a personal God, a God who cares about us, a God who loves his children, Father, even who loves his enemies and offers them forgiveness and eternal life. And so, Father, as we come to your word today, may we be encouraged by the truths that we see. Uh, may we be challenged, God, maybe in some areas where we have not been trusting you, not been obedient, and uh, God, increase our faith today uh, in your Son, Jesus Christ, and in your heart for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 19. 1 Corinthians chapter 19. Trust the plan. Has anyone ever told you that before? Have you ever heard that before? I used to watch a lot of sports talk radio. I don't watch as much anymore, but I used to watch a lot, and uh, back when the 76ers had their plan to lose a bunch of seasons so that they could get high draft picks and put together this super team, as they were losing game after game, as they were tanking season after season, the statement kept being broadcast, trust the plan. We've got a plan. It's going to work out in the end. Well... I don't know if you follow the NBA or not, but uh, still waiting on that championship for Philadelphia, that NBA championship. Not since Dr. J have the 76ers lifted that trophy. Trust the plan. I don't know whether you follow conspiracy theories or not like I do. I've told you before I'm a big fan of conspiracy theories. I always have to give the qualifier that I don't believe every conspiracy theory. But I believe in conspiracies because the Bible is full of them. From the Garden of Eden to Revelation chapter 20, we see Satan conspiring with mankind against God. We see conspiracies throughout the Bible, throughout human history. It is the nature of man to lie and to cover up our lies. That's human nature. Romans 3, 4 says, let God be true and every man a liar. So I don't believe every conspiracy theory, but I, I'm interested in them. I like to 
hear people's theories about who's covering up what, and I found that whether people identify themselves as a quote-unquote conspiracy theorist or not, we all believe in conspiracies, it's just whether we agree on which ones are really true or whether which ones are really not. But one of the most popular theories that's out there today uh, is that the military has a plan. The military has a plan to deal with the communists that have very clearly embedded themselves in our government that have, all you have to do is follow the money, they've embedded themselves uh, in our institutions, in our uh, higher education systems, just follow the money, find out where uh, some of our major universities are getting their money, uh, they've embedded themselves into our scientific institutions, uh, just again, follow the money, find out uh, who is giving what money to what scientific organization, what scientific study. And so there's a, a theory out there that the military has a plan in place, and we just need to trust the plan. And you may have heard that on Facebook or on social media at some point, trust the plan. I, I don't know if there's a plan or not. I certainly hope there is a plan. I don't know if there is, but trust the plan only really applies when we're talking about God's plans. God is the only one whose plans always succeed the way that he wants them to, if he wants them to succeed. And so I don't know what you need fixed in your life today. I don't know what struggle you're going through, what crisis that you are facing. But we're going to see today that God has a plan. You can't read uh, probably as clearly as I can, especially some of these smaller writings, but uh, whoever put this um, blackboard together wrote, uh, trust God with, and then invited people to take a, take a piece of chalk and write what they were trusting God with, and, and some people, uh, as you can see, wrote, I'm going to trust God with my life, I'm going to trust God with my relationship, with my family. It is Valentine's today. When I was younger, I had a plan, as a teenager growing up here in Cumberland, I had a plan, uh, because I couldn't find uh, uh, girls in Cumberland who wanted to date me, I had a plan that I was going to go to college, I was going to meet the girl of my dreams at Bible school, or, or at Lancaster Bible College first, and then later at Liberty University, I was going to meet the girl of my dreams, I was going to get married right out of college. That was not God's plan for me. That was God's plan for Pastor Nick, it turns out. It wasn't God's plan. God's plan for me. And so for many years, sleepless nights, lonely nights, times that I cried myself to sleep, in my 20s, into my 30s, it wasn't until I was 39 years old that I met my beautiful Valentine, my wife. A few weeks before I turned 40, in fact. And I realized, as we fell in love and as we got married, I realized that my plan, as great as I thought that would have been, my plan uh, meant nothing compared to the greatness of God's plan for our life together. And I'm so thankful that my plan failed. My many plans failed, actually, all along the way. So glad that my plans failed, that, that I didn't end up with some of the uh, people, with some of the ladies, God, God bless them, that uh, I thought I wanted to end up with, and, and so thankful that those things didn't work out. God had a plan, though. And we don't always see God's plan, and many times we don't understand God's plan.
but he has a plan. And so I want this morning to go back to 1 Kings chapter 19. We left off here a few weeks ago. And, and a few weeks ago, as we were looking at the story of Elijah, of course, the testimony of Elijah is really the testimony of our God. And so as we study the life of Elijah, we're really studying his life, not to learn how great he was, but to learn how great God is and, and how uh, faithful God was to him because Jesus Christ is the same uh, yesterday, today, and forever as we have hanging up here in the sanctuary. Jesus Christ is the same. And the same God that Elijah served is the same God that we serve today. And so we want to learn how God works. We want to learn how uh, God acts in circumstances and through his servants. And so we saw a few weeks ago as Elijah appeared before God on Mount Horeb that God expressed incredible patience to his servant. Elijah was on Mount Horeb because of his failure, because of his frustration, because he'd had this great spiritual victory on Mount Carmel and he had defeated the prophets of Baal. In fact, he had had all of them slain and he saw God answer an incredible prayer of fire from heaven, an incredible prayer of rain from heaven after three and a half years of no rain. And yet the very next morning as he woke up, Jezebel sent a message to him, the queen, the wicked queen, said, I want to, I'm going to take your life. I, I, I want to kill you, Elijah, and I'm going to kill you. And, and Elijah, instead of standing up against this queen, just as he had stood before the king and stood before all these prophets, he turned tail and ran. In fact, he ended up in the wilderness wanting to die, asking God to kill him. And now, 40 days later, after God has fed him and given him a nap, uh, which at times we all need a nap, and we all need a good meal, and God sent him on this miraculous meal for 40 days through the wilderness, this extended journey of reflection and time alone uh, to, to try to connect with God who he had forsaken and failed, stumbled in his faith. He gets to Mount uh, Horeb. He explains his failure of faith, and Elijah has a prayer. It's a prayer because he's speaking to God, and, and he gives it to God twice. God asks him twice, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so the second time, let's pick it up in verse 14, where God has, for the second time, asked him. This time he's spoken to Elijah in a still, small voice. What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, Elijah prays, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thine altar, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. Elijah's prayer affirmed his jealous commitment to the worship of the true God. Elijah loved God. He was serving God faithfully. And he was jealous in his servant service of God, like the Apostle Paul when Paul went to the city of Athens and he saw all of the idolatry in the city of Athens, it broke his heart, it grieved him, it created a reaction within him. Abraham Lincoln said that you can tell the greatness of a man by what makes him angry. And what makes you angry? What made Paul angry was idolatry. What made Elijah angry was the idolatry of Israel. And so he's frustrated, and he, and he affirms 
God, I'm jealous for you. I'm, I'm upset because of all the wickedness I see around me. It is driving me crazy when I see all the sin and wickedness and idolatry around me. I'm grieved as I see Israel's growing apostasy. I see the wickedness of Israel. They're actually killing your prophets, God. But then he also expressed his feeling of isolation, his fear of his own death at the hands of Israel led by Jezebel. And so God responds. Now, I want you to see in this response that God does correct him where he is wrong, but he also affirms where he's right. And he affirms where he is right by saying, listen, I know that you're angry. I know that you're frustrated as you see all the wickedness around you, as you see all the wickedness above you in the, in the institutions of Israel, the king and queens of Israel, so wicked, and yet... I have a plan. I have a plan, Elijah. It's not your plan. Things aren't going to work out as quickly as you want them to, but I have a plan. Verse 15, the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. He said, you see the wickedness in Syria? I'm going to replace that king. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. You're upset about what's going on in the throne room of Israel. You're upset about who is living in the palace of Israel, Ahab and Jezebel. I'm going to replace the king of Israel with Jehu. I want you to anoint him, Elijah. And then I have someone else that you need to anoint. Someone who is going to become a major player in the game that I'm playing. Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. See, God says, I have a plan. I have a plan. I know you're upset. I'm angry too. You see the wickedness? I see it too. But don't become despondent, Elijah, because things aren't working out the way that you think they should. Things aren't happening as fast as you think they should happen. Let me share with you my plan. And this morning I want to share with you four truths that we can learn from this passage and others about the plans and the purposes of God. The plans and the purposes of God. I'm not a very good chess player, but I do like to play a game of chess on my Kindle every now and then, and I have the difficulty set just low enough that I can win at least 25% of the time. I can beat the computer. If I get two games in a row, I, I feel... Uh, I feel pretty smart. Uh, then the computer humbles me the very next time, brings me right back down. Uh, I have a hard time with chess, though. I understand the mechanics of it, but I have a hard time thinking ahead and planning ahead. And so, in the game of chess, sometimes a piece gets sacrificed, sometimes a piece gets moved, and, and you have no intention of, of moving it in, in the next two or three or four turns. You are positioning it for the long game. And as we talk about the plan of God, 
we're talking about the plan that expands over the ages because He is the God of all ages. Because He is King of kings and Lord of lords, He is the eternal, unchanging God. And so, let me share some truths with you about that God who plans and who has purposes. I want to, again, share with you four truths this morning. Number one, God has a plan, and it's superior to yours. Now, that's very basic, but that's where we need to start, because I don't know about you, I need that reminder pretty much every day. Pretty much every day, I need to be reminded that God's plans are better than my plans. I had a plan a a few weeks ago that I was going to finish our study of Elijah's life at the end of January, and today, it's Valentine's Day, we'll do a message about love, and then we'd start with our next series next week, and as uh, it became clearer and clearer that we were going to have to cancel a few weeks ago because of the forecast, which ended up being uh, correct for a change, Um, as I was farther and farther into this text and thinking about it, I realized that there was so much more that we needed to cover before we moved on, and and there was so much more that we needed to talk about before we moved on. And so uh, we're not going to end this study today. We're going to continue looking at the life of Elijah, uh, Lord willing, over the next few weeks. God had a, a different plan than I originally had. But we need to be willing even as we make plans. And, and there's nothing wrong with making plans. But as James says, whenever we make a plan, we need to say, if God wills. If it be God's will, this is what I'm going to do. This is, this is how things are going to work. Because God also has a plan, and his plan is always superior to your plan. Whatever the circumstance that you're in today, whatever the crisis that you're facing, God is never taken by surprise. I am frequently taken by surprise. God is never taken by surprise. And he always has a plan. Let me give you some reminders from the scriptures here. Psalm 33 Verses 10 through 11, the Lord bringeth the counsel of the heathen to naught. See, the wicked have plans too. But ultimately, God will bring those counsels to naught, to nothing. He maketh the devices of the people of none effect. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. That means to us and to our children's generation, our grandchildren's generation, if the Lord tarries. My grandkids. I know some of you already have grandkids. Some of you already have great grandkids. If the Lord tarries, my grandkids. Proverbs 16, verse 1 the preparations of the heart in man, the answer of the tongue, is from the Lord. A man's heart devises his ways, verse 9, but the Lord directeth his steps. In other words, God allows you to make plans and God encourages you to make plans, but the outcome of those plans he reserves for himself. You make your plans, God decides the outcome of those plans. That's what he holds in his hand. Proverbs 19.21, there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. It doesn't matter how bad I want something, how much I want something. It matters what God decides. And God knows best. Because God doesn't just see from my perspective. And he doesn't just see time in the expanse of my life. He sees all of us at the same time 
throughout all of history. It'll make your head explode if you think about that too long. But it's why Paul can say in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, because he is outside of time. But please understand this, number two, not only does God have a plan, a superior plan, but he works through his servants to accomplish his plans. God doesn't, doesn't need Elijah. God doesn't need Jehu. God doesn't need any of us. But God chooses to use his servants to accomplish his plans. God chooses to use angels on occasion to accomplish his plans. God chooses even to use the wicked on occasion to accomplish his plans. But God uses us to accomplish his plans. And I want to encourage you to come to grips with this. God does not play a role in your plans. Some of us, we just want God to, you know, we have this plan, and, and, and if only God will connect those dots for us, everything will come together, and God just becomes for us at times in our life a means to an end rather than the end and the beginning and the eternal one who alone can really satisfy the God-shaped hole inside of us. God, if you just do this, if you just do that, listen, God is bigger than your plan. But here's the positive side of that. God wants you to be part of his plan. God wants you to be part of a plan that's much bigger than yourself, that's much uh, more eternally significant than anything that you can come up on your own. Not only does he invite us to play a role in his plans, he commands us to play a role in his plans. We see it in Joshua chapter 1 when he calls Joshua up to replace Moses. He says, be strong and courageous, Joshua. I have a plan for you. You get to be part of what I'm going to do that's going to have eternal significance. In chapter 5, as Joshua is ready to take the army of the Lord, the Israelites, to Jericho. He has an encounter with the angel of the Lord. And he doesn't recognize him at first, but he sees this mighty warrior. And Joshua approaches him and says, hey, are you for us or are you for them? And the angel of the Lord, which is God himself, says, I'm not for either. You're for me. This is my battle, Joshua. Don't just try to get me on your side. Find out where I'm at. Find out what I'm doing and get on my side. Because then you'll be able to say with Paul in Romans 8, if God before us, who can be against us? When we are part of his plan. But we have a choice in that. So let me show you a few other things about God working through his servants. God choosing to use Elijah. Choosing to use Jehu. Choosing to use Hazael, choosing to use Elisha. Our choices matter to God. And our choices have real eternal consequences. Our choices matter to God. This is what it means, part of what it means, to be created in the image of God. When God created Adam and Eve in uh, the Garden of Eden, and He placed them in the Garden of Eden, and He gave them responsibility over the earth 
and said, be fruitful and multiply and subdue this, this creation that I've entrusted to you as stewards. That's part of what it means to be created in the image of God, to, to be able to exercise choice, to be able to exercise and make real, significant, eternal impact. The God who inhabited eternity and who inhabits eternity and who will always forever inhabit eternity does not experience time the way that you and I experience time. He dwelleth, Isaiah says, he dwelleth, inhabiteth eternity. He is over all of time and space, but there's a few misunderstandings that people have when it comes to that reality. There are a few extremes that people have when it comes to the future and and thinking about the future, when it comes to human responsibility and, and pondering that. Isaiah 57, 15, Thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What does this mighty, awesome God have to do with us? Well, on one hand, you have a view of God that, that is called deism. By the way, there's not going to be a quiz on this. I don't really care if you, if you remember these theological terms as long as you get, the, get what they mean, okay? There, there's this uh, religion of deism which says that God basically is like the clockmaker and he created everything and then he just kind of sat his creation on the countertop and he kind of watches and he kind of but he's disconnected he's not he's not a personal god deism it's what many of our not all uh, some of our founding fathers were christians but it's what many of our founding fathers believed they believed in a, a grand architect this this masonic view of god but they didn't understand god as a as a personal they didn't believe in god as a personal god then you have this other view of god that's that's kind of in that same incorrect category and that's a view of God that says that God talks about the future but he doesn't really know the future God is predicting what he's going to do he's telling us what he plans to do but he doesn't really know the outcome yet it's called quote-unquote open theism it's it's a ridiculous heresy this idea that God doesn't know the future you have to uh, redact so much of the Bible to believe that and yet many people do they believe that God He's looking into the future just the same way we are, that he's experiencing time as we are. But there's another mistake. The pendulum sometimes swings too far in the other direction. There's another area that many, many Christians fall in today over here, and that's called determinism. That God only knows the future because he's already decided ahead of time what he's going to do. And God planned everything out like he was setting up a whole big domino set and then back when in Genesis 1, he just clicked that first domino. And that the reason that God knows the future is because he's already done everything. And it sees God also as being a slave of time. That's a, that's a view of God that brings God into time as well. That God sees time as before and after. That God sees time as, as linear. I know this is like really hard stuff to wrap our minds around. Because as Ecclesiastes tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, God has placed eternity in our hearts, but he hasn't given us the ability to really understand. So we can kind of talk about eternity. We have a sense that we're made to live forever, but we really don't have the ability because of sin to really wrap our brains around that. 
But this idea of determinism came out of Gnosticism, and it was brought into the church by someone named Augustine. Way back in the 5th century, Augustine began to teach Christians that God determines everything ahead of time. And so God decides, you're going to get saved, and you're going to get saved, and I'm going to send you to hell, I'm going to send you to hell, and you have no real say in it. And free will is just this kind of this illusion. And so there, there is no such thing as a free moral agent. That God, in fact, God's not really even a free moral agent. God is, is really a slave to his own character. And everything is, is kind of already set, and we're just kind of playing out a script here. And there are many, many Christians who believe that today. And so why evangelize? Because really, if somebody's going to get saved, they're going to get saved whether I share the gospel with them or not. So I don't really even need to have a clear gospel presentation because God's going to save them so they can get saved. And if they're not going to get saved because God's already said I'm going to send them to hell, I can preach the gospel with them all I want. They're not going to respond. This deterministic view of God where we're all just sort of like characters in a story that's already been written. And again, it was brought into the church from Gnosticism by a man named Augustine. Augustine is still considered a, a, a father of the church. I'm not really sure exactly all those reasons why. Many people really love Augustine today, even Protestants, even though he's considered a a founding father of Roman Catholicism. It was Augustine who said that Mary was probably sinless. He was the first one to introduce that to the church. It was Augustine who said that, you know, uh, even within marriage, human sexuality is is an unclean thing, and really the only good thing about sex is, is having children and so he was one of the ones who really made that popular, which is why in Roman Catholicism you have this very anti-sexuality, anti-human sexuality view. It was Augustine who said, you know, since the Apostle Paul knocked down, uh, was knocked down on the road to Damascus by God, God obviously used violence in converting Paul. So, you know what? It, it's okay if we as, as a church use violence to convert people to Christ which led to the Crusades, the justification of the Crusades. And yet, despite all of these things that Augustine taught, the the most dangerous one is this idea of determinism, that we're just playing a game, that we're just playing a role. Listen, there is so much Scripture that you need to redact, to believe that God doesn't care about your choices, that your choices don't really matter because God's already decided. And we want to be very careful that we don't fall into this trap of of saying that God's not in control or that God's somehow detached, that God's just kind of trying to hurt us all like sheep sheep, or really more like cats. God's trying to hurt us all like cats to try to get uh, history to move in a certain direction. But we don't want to make the opposite mistake of saying that God has just set everything up like dominoes and and just knocking one down and and they all fall down together. God's sovereignty does not contradict human responsibility. God created time and chance. We talked about that in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Time and chance happeneth to all. God's big enough to create time and chance and still oversee it. And likewise, God is big enough to rule over mankind's choices without overruling the ability of man to choose. And so you do have a choice. You are able to choose. 
You are able to make choices that have eternal significance. And God doesn't experience time the way that we do. God's not experiencing time in a linear, linear before and after. God is experiencing all of time at the same time. That's why he can say, I declare the end from the beginning. That's why he can say, I know what I'm going to decide is happening. God is experiencing time in a, in a way that's very, very different. It's one, of the, it's one of the miracles of the incarnation. Not only that God became a man in Bethlehem as a baby, but that God entered into time and began to experience time in a linear way that you and I experience time. It's, it's something that we can't really understand because as Ecclesiastes 3 says, God hasn't given us the ability to really wrap our brains around it. But please understand, you can choose, and you must choose, and you must choose wisely. This is what Moses said uh, to the people. This is God speaking through the prophet Moses in Deuteronomy 30, 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. You have life and you have death, and I'm letting you choose. I'm giving you the ability to choose, God says. You better choose wisely. Same thing Joshua said at the end of his life before he died. Choose you this day whom you will serve. Do you want to serve the God of Israel or do you want to serve the God of Israel? the Canaanites? Do you want to serve the God of the Egyptians? What gods do you want to serve or you want to serve the true God? You get to choose. And you get to choose that today as well. Who are you going to choose to serve? See, there, there are things that God allows that God does not choose. God chooses to allow them, but he doesn't choose them. Let me give you some scripture to Affirm that. Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 31, God says, They have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire. The sacrifice of children is nothing new. It is horrific that 62 and a half million babies have been slaughtered by serial killers in the womb since 1973. One third of my generation, I was born just a, a few months after Roe v. Wade. It is horrific that we have slaughtered 62 million and a half, 62.5 million children in that time, legally, serial killers carrying that out under the blessing of some in our government. But it's nothing new. And here's what God has to say about what was going on I commanded them not. Neither came it into my heart. God said, just because I allowed this doesn't mean that I authored this. Just because I allowed this doesn't mean that I thought this up, that, that I wanted this to happen. Jeremiah 32, 35, they built the high places of Baal, which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and daughters to pass through the fire into Molech, which I commanded them not. Neither came it into my mind that they should do this abomination that caused Judah to sin. God says, I didn't set them up to sin. It was not in my mind that they should do this. I didn't set them up so that they would do this wicked thing so then I could judge them and just get glory from it. That's not what sovereignty means biblically. That's not what God means when he talks about being over all time and over all decision and having the right to determine the outcome of our choices. 
Ezekiel 18 says, verse 32, I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God, whereunto turn yourselves and live ye. God says, I don't want to destroy you, but I will if you don't turn. So turn and choose life. Ezekiel 33, verses 10 through 11, Therefore, O thou son of man, speak unto the house of Israel. Thus ye speak, saying, If our transgressions and our sins be upon us, and we pine away in them, how shall we then live? Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn uh, from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? God does not delight in destroying the wicked. But he will because he's holy and righteous. And so we have a choice to make. God has given us the ability to choose, the responsibility to choose. So choose wisely. Our choices matter to God. They have real eternal consequences. But here is the comforting part. That's pretty terrifying when you think about it. But here's the comforting part. God works in us and through us to do that. God works in us and through us. Philippians chapter 2, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who worketh in you to will and to accomplish His good pleasure. God will give you the desire to do the right thing. And God will give you the ability to do the right thing. But you have to choose to do it. You have to act on it. You are responsible. God will not do for you that which he has commanded you to do for him. God commands you to love your spouse. He's not going to love them for you. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. He'll give you that desire. He'll give you the ability. He's not going to do it for you. You're going to have to make sacrifices. You're going to have to make choices. Don't blame God. Say, well, you don't know my wife. You don't know how hard she is to live with. Hey, you don't know how hard I am to live with, okay? (laughs) God will give you the ability. The Spirit who raised Christ from the dead will give you the ability to do it. It's not His fault when you fail in your responsibility. God works in us. God works through us. Now, let me give you three ways. This is sort of a little mini sermon in itself, but let's just, let me give you three ways very quickly, a Reader's Digest version of this. Three ways that God will work in us and through us. Matthew chapter 7 and and Luke chapter 11 record the same three commands. Jesus spoke the same sermon on two different occasions in, in two different contexts. I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes... Us preachers, we reuse our sermons when we get an opportunity. And Jesus did that, so it, it must be okay. So, Jesus said this in Matthew 7. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks find. Everyone who knocks. To him it will be open. So, that is three commands Three promises, but also insight into three ways that God uses us. Number one, through our righteous prayers. You want God to use you? Pray some righteous prayers. 
ask for the things that God wants you to ask. Do you know there's things that you don't have right now because you haven't asked God for them? I don't just mean add it to the end of your prayer list. I mean spend time on your face. When's the last time you've really fasted and prayed for that need that you have? And you're like, God, why haven't you answered this prayer? When's the last time you really spent a lot of time praying about it? I'm not talking about five seconds before you fall asleep. When have you gone to war in the spiritual realm for that thing and fasted and prayed and begged God to intervene? When have you done that? It doesn't mean that we get anything we ask for that way, but it does mean that when we are praying righteous prayers and praying for the things that we know God wants us to have, that if we are really truly praying, James says, James 4.2, you have not because you ask not. Or because you're asking for the wrong reasons. You're asking with impure motives. Ask. God will work through your righteous prayers. Number two, seek. God will work through righteous pursuits. Whatever your hand finds to do, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, do it with all your might. Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. When you are righteously pursuing Whatever it is that God has placed in your heart to pursue, whatever endeavor, whatever project, God will work through that. He may not work in the way that you think. Elijah thought, man, I'm going to have this great victory on Mount Carmel, and I'm going to wake up the next day, and all of Israel is going to come to a revival, and that's not what happened. God had a different plan, but God still used that. God still used that event. It's still speaking to us today. God is still using it thousands of years later. So it may not, God may not use it the way that you want or think, but God will use your righteous pursuits. So seek, ask and seek. And then lastly, your righteous persistence. Knock, knock. Yesterday morning, I, I told my son that I would get him a book that he had earned. And uh, I forgot to grab it for him before I jumped in the shower. And I'm in the shower and I hear him yelling for me. And I immediately thought, oh, I forgot to give him that book. And I tried to yell back, I'll be out in a minute. He was persistent. He was so persistent that I cut things short and got out so I could get him the book. So that I could, because that's what I promised to do. I had to keep my promise. He was persistent. But if he hadn't been persistent, I would have just waited possibly forgotten again and had to have been reminded again. Are you persistent in doing what you need to do? In seek? Now, God doesn't forget things like we do, okay? But God is looking for persistence. He's looking for endurance. He calls us to run the race. Whatever race he has set out for you, he's called you to run with endurance, Hebrews chapter 12. We're to forget the things that are behind us to strain for the things that are ahead and press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3, 14, 13 and 14 tell us. So God works in and through our prayers, in, our, in and through our pursuits, in and through our persistence. And again, it doesn't always work out the, thing, the way that we think it should, but God will use it, the way that God worked through Elijah. Didn't happen the way he wanted, didn't happen in the time frame he wanted, but it did happen. And that brings us to the third thing I want to show you. God's plans accomplish God's purposes. 
God has a plan. It's superior to yours. God works through his servants to accomplish his plan. And God has a plan to accomplish his purpose, not necessarily your purpose. So 1 Kings chapter 19, which we've looked at this morning, highlights three of these purposes. Let me give them to you this morning. Number one, to prepare his saints for service. Elijah comes to God with his frustration, his failure. He brings his failure to God, and God says to the fallen, failing saint, I have a new mission for you. Let's get you back on mission. Let's restore you to ministry. For some of us, 2020 was a time where we grew closer to God than any other time in our life because we spent more time praying. We spent more time in the Word of God because we had more time. We had all that time that we've been asking for, God, if you just give me more time to study the Bible. We had it. For some of us, we use that time. We, we are closer to God today than we were a year ago. But for some of us, the challenges of 2020 have not brought us closer to God. We allowed them to drive a wedge between us and God. Maybe it was a lack of fellowship because of the lockdowns there at the beginning. Maybe it was, it's been the isolation. We have some of our members are still not able because they have some serious health conditions. They have uh, serious issues and they're very concerned and, and rightly so. For some of us, the fear, the trials, other things that have happened beyond the obvious in our lives. Whatever situation you're in, if you're closer to the Lord today than you were a year ago, if you're farther away, God says, I have a mission for you. Don't wallow in the failures of 2020. I have a mission for you. God has a plan to prepare his saints for service. He encouraged a discouraged prophet. He gave him a mission. He gave him a partner in ministry named Elisha. And he used him to train and equip Elisha. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, two are better than one. I want you to consider all of the one another commandments in the New Testament. We're not going to take the time to go through them. You can do a very simple word search on a pro computer program on a website. One another. Look at all of those commands in the New Testament. God wants us to help each other. And that's part of our preparation for service is, is not only being prepared to serve, but be pre being prepared by serving. Getting involved in people's lives. I know it's challenging with the limitations and we're uh, talking now as we're looking now at uh, when we can get back to Awana and when even uh, we'll be looking and talking about when we can get back to Sunday school and, and there's other things that we want to get back to doing as we get into 2021. God has a plan to accomplish his purposes and one of those primary purposes is to prepare us to serve one another. To serve Him by serving one another. Number two, we'll talk about this more next week, and so I'm, I'm not going to take a lot of time to develop this this morning. God has a plan to prepare His servants. God also has a plan to punish His enemies with vengeance. Look at these verses again. 1 Kings 19. Verse 17. It shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Evil must and will be judged. This is the message of the cross. 
You understand that God hates our sins so much that He sent His only begotten Son and He poured out His wrath on Jesus Christ who stood in your place, who stood in my place, who absorbed God's wrath for me. And as evidence that He was a sinless sacrifice, on the third day, God rose Him from the dead. And He is now risen and alive and He offers us forgiveness of sins. He offers us escape from wrath. He offers us eternal life with Him. First in heaven and then in heaven on earth. In the new heavens and the new earth when heaven and earth become one. But Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The day of grace is today. The day of salvation is today. It might not be tomorrow. We don't know yet. We'll find out tomorrow. You don't have forever to make this decision. Whether you're here today, whether you're watching online, you don't have today, even the end of the day yet. You don't know if you're going to make it to the end of the day yet. I have sat in church, and so have you, with people who were in heaven by the next Sunday. And they didn't know they were going to be in heaven, and neither did we. We don't know what could happen in a moment. We are all of us one breath away from eternity. It's why we need Jesus Christ. And if we forsake the only way, the only truth, and the only life, there is nothing but God's wrath waiting. And what Elijah tells us and what uh, the Scriptures repeatedly affirm is that that vengeance doesn't just come in the end times. God doesn't necessarily just wait until the end of days to bring His judgment. He'll bring it here and now. He can judge a nation, any nation, here and now. I mean, how much, how much human history do you need to believe that? How, how, much evidence, how much more evidence do you need to believe that? And I know that uh, some of you are, uh, I'm sure I've offended some, I know I've offended some people. I don't know if I've offended you here, I don't, but whether you're watching, I know I've offended some people when I've said, listen, we've got wicked rulers in both parties, and we need to be praying that God will remove them. Psalm 94. And some people get offended. What? Listen, why do you think God wrote that psalm? Why do you think Psalm 23 is for you, but Psalm 94 isn't for you? You want justice for those 62 and a half million babies? You want justice for all the wickedness that we see? Are you praying for it? I'm not asking for God to destroy our country. I'm asking for God to remove wicked rulers. I don't care what party they are. I don't care about their personality. I don't care what gender they are. I don't care what ethnicity they are. If they're wicked, I want God to remove them. And I'm called and commanded in the Bible to pray that way. Psalm 94 is in your Bible. Rise up, O righteous judge of the earth. And all of these wicked lawmakers who are making wicked laws, God, take care of this because it's beyond us. Why would, why would God inspire David, a king, who had no one above him but God, to write that because it wasn't written for David it was written for us it was written for us God will punish evil we'll talk more about God's punishment next week and then look also God uh, will preserve his worship on earth this is something that Lord willing will come back to uh, in a few weeks when we uh, begin our new study on the book of Ephesians 
God will preserve his worship on earth. Yet, verse 18, I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, every mouth which hath not kissed him. In the past and in the future, God preserves his worship through the nation of Israel. In the present and the future, God preserves his worship in us, in the church. His temple, modern day temple on earth, the church. Now, there will be another temple, a literal temple in Jerusalem. Jesus is going to rule from the throne of his father, David, in Jerusalem. That day is coming. But we're not waiting for that day to worship him. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, today. And so God will preserve his worship on earth. God has a plan. God works through his servants to accomplish that plan. His plans always accomplish his purposes. And number four, God's plans are made from an eternal perspective. He is not limited by time. We've already talked about this, so let me just touch on this very briefly. God plays the long game. God plays the long game. God is not impulsive like we are. God is not impatient like we are. God dwells in eternity. He sees all of it for all of us at the same time. He exists outside of time and space. He created time and space. I can't explain that to you. Ecclesiastes 3 says, I don't have the ability to even understand it completely, let alone explain it to you sufficiently. But God plays the long game. What you don't see here, but you see as you get into 1 Kings chapter 20 and 21 and 22 and into 2 Kings, is that this plan that God lays out is not a plan that's going to take place in a few days. It's not even going to unfold in a few years. Elijah is going to anoint Jehu to be king of Israel. He is not even going to get to the throne until two of Ahab's successors have filled that throne. Ahab's going to be removed. His son's going to take over. That son's going to be removed. Another son's going to take over. And then Jehu gets to come onto the scene. This is a long-term plan. It doesn't happen as quickly as Elijah wants. And and we don't know how young Jehu was when he was anointed. He might have been just very, very young. Maybe it was obvious when uh, Elijah had to wait for Jehu's diaper to be changed before he could anoint him. I don't know. I don't know how old Jehu was. I don't know if he was a baby, a young man. I don't know how old he was. But God plays the long game. And we'll see this next week, Lord willing, but God's patience gave Ahab time to repent. So let's just look at three things as we close here, three take-homes. What do we do about all of this? What do, we, what do we do in response to these truths about God and his plan? Number one, trust and obey God's plan. Trust and obey God's plan. Don't wait till you understand it. Don't wait till you agree with it. When God says to do something in in his word, or if you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you to do something that, that in no ways contradicts his word, then just obey. Don't wait till you understand it, accept it, obey it. Number two, as we look at the life of Elisha here, verse 19 says, So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed him by, cast his mantle upon him, and he 
left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me pray thee, uh, kiss my father, my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, go back, go back again. What have I done to thee? And he returned back from him. He took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people and they did eat. And he arose and he went after Elijah and he ministered unto him. Here's what Elisha does. He burned the bridge to disobedience. He burned the bridge. I'm going to take this oxen. I'm going to take the tools of my trade. And I'm going to make sure that there is no coming back for me. I'm not going to give myself an out to obeying God. I'm going to do what God has called me to do. I'm not going to give myself an out. Burn the bridges to disobedience. Don't give yourself an out. Don't give yourself an excuse to quit. And then number three, serve others sacrificially. Elijah had to sacrifice the mantle of his ministry. Elisha sacrificed his, his oxen and the tools of his trade, and he used those to serve others. And then he began a life of serving Elijah as he was training under Elijah. Both Elijah and Elisha, examples of sacrificial commitment to God's plan. Trust God. Make that commitment, and then make sure that there is no way for you to turn back. And then work the plan, trust God's plan, by sacrificially serving others. Would you stand with me as we close in prayer? Father, thank you for the testimony of Elijah. Thank you, God, that you have revealed through uh, Elijah and Elisha throughout the Scriptures, God, that you have a plan for us, that you use us to accomplish your plans, God, that you give us the ability to choose. And so, God, may we make that choice to trust your plan, to trust your faithfulness, and to obediently serve you as we serve others for you. We love and thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that wraps up today's message. We hope this has made an impact on your life and encourages you to follow and reflect Jesus daily. If it has, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you listen on and share it with a friend so others might be encouraged as well. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and would like to know how, join us on Sunday mornings at 10.30, Sunday nights at 7 o'clock, Wednesday nights at 6.45, or give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love to hear from you. We hope to see you soon, and until next time, stay faithful.